0: Welcome back to Tales from the States. Um, I'm Jordan, and I will be talking about Massachusetts.
1: Oh, I'm Amber, and I get to talk about Tennessee. So I'm going to go ahead and start. um, uh, I'll start with my facts, as always. Tennessee facts. Tennessee has more species of tree than any other state. Has more than 3,800 documented caves which means there could be more than so if you like to go spelunking.
0: Yeah that's kind of, of me because like I have an irrational fear of falling into a sinkhole Oh or a cave could be that. <laughs> yes definitely and uh,
1: the Smoky Mountains is the most visited national park in the U.S. Oh wow. It's a pretty beloved place I I know that a lot of people sing about it, talk about it. I've never been. I'd love to go. Maybe go to a cabin. Have you been there?
0: No, I haven't been to Tennessee. I think I've driven.
1: I always think of Smoky Mountains, and I think of the spaghetti song. Oh, that's exactly what was going through my head when you <laughs> said that. On top of Smoky. Okay, let's move right along. We are used to hearing tales of sightings and even attacks by panthers and mountain lions in California, Colorado, and even Texas. As we're talking about Tennessee, it's going to be a less common occurrence to hear of attacks like this. However, there have been 10 verified accounts of mountain lions in Tennessee, um, and that's according to the Fish and Wildlife I put Association, but I feel like it's Reserve or preserve. I could be wrong on that. Oh, yeah. Okay, now to the nitty gritty of why we were here. Seeing any mountain lion is rare, but imagine seeing a cheetah, a red cheetah at that. Now, as the tale goes, a man was overlooking his farm, checking the grounds as one does. Farming accidents are no joke, and a lame horse or crippled cow is bad news. So surveying for rocks, holes from groundhogs or faulty fencing is important to prevent accidents. As the farmer surveyed his land in early light, a flash of color went past, just out of his sight. And as he was always armed and not in typical fashion, he raised his weapon. According to the lore, he shot the cheetah-like cat despite her having two cubs. Oh. I know. I didn't like that. She fell immediately and giving no further thought to the fate of the now orphan cubs, the farmer hauled his kill home and began cleaning and skinning it. With that done, he could show off the new hide or pelt and the cheetah as described, is um, golden in color and dark red. The red is at her haunches and the tip of her tail. Very beautiful. This cheetah has a small mane that is also red and her spots are black and her fangs are long. With the beauty of her pelt, the farmer decided to put it on display for others to see. After showing it off to his neighbors, they said, you need to let other people see this. So strangely enough, after only a few days, the fur disappeared. People began searching for it because it was so unique and they wanted to figure out what kind of animal this was and what the heck it was doing in Tennessee. Well, it was never recovered. Now, sightings still occur with regularity, but nobody really knows what it was or whether this was just kind of some remnant from the prehistoric era and what happened to the two cubs that were left behind when this farmer just shot (laughs) the mom. Now, there wasn't any photographic evidence, and this was over... I believe it was over, like, 20 years ago that this supposedly happened. So there should have been. So there could have been,
0: like, a photo or something of, like, the pelt or, yeah.
1: But the way it's described is golden, just like a regular cheetah with spots. And then she has, like, a red mane and then red on her haunches. But she's a cheetah and bulky. So yeah that one I thought was really interesting. There have been like I said ten confirmed sightings of actual like mountain lions, but nothing uh, like gotcha.
0: that right yeah I wonder if it's something like um where when I was looking at Virginia, there was a story about a supposedly lost train car that had gorillas on it, so there was like a train that got into an accident or derailed or whatever in the car full of gorillas like all the gorillas escaped and they didn't find them but townspeople in the towns near there were oh, like oh, I saw a gorilla the other day and there's like yeah. pictures on the internet I wonder if it's something like that where there was like a transport for a circus or the zoo or right yeah that
1: that's something to consider for sure um I do think it's atypical for people to just shoot an animal. (laughs) And then then the story, it said he wasn't thinking when he shot it about the two cubs not being able to fend for themselves. And I'm like, I think most farmers think and they know that the cycle of life is that something that has babies with it is
0: probably the mom. Yeah. Well, (laughs) but. I, I don't think that that would have even taken account because most farmers like as you know they'll shoot coyotes regardless of if it's um, a or not and they'll hang them on their fence and scare away the other coyotes so yeah oh you've got a point yeah probably just protect livestock got it yeah. so he might have just I don't know that he would have thought about it I don't know I could be wrong uh, well clearly I'm not. he didn't think about it he shot it <laughs> you're right
1: yeah so but um, there are pictures, like, artist renderings of what, sh- what it looked like, and it, it's really pretty. All right, so moving along. Uh, the Tennessee Wildman. Uh, Rob Phillips and his cousin decided to go on a nighttime hike, which I've gone on a nighttime hike. It was scary. <laughs> it wasn't that fun. It was, like, a trust thing. Where there was like a line of rope and you had to follow the line of rope. It was kind of fun but I didn't really care for it. So this guy and his cousin decided to do this by choice on a rainy night and they chose to go on their hike near uh, bee cliffs. So they're experienced hikers and um, they're accustomed to the sounds of the forest. So they immediately noticed when The forest became unnaturally silent, even with the rain. So suddenly, they heard the sound of snapping branches with the silence. Um, The silence of the night was then pierced by the sound of a wretched screaming that was inhuman and terrifying. so terrifying that the man ran into separate directions (laughs) right into the night. Um, Phillips took refuge behind a tree and it was only then that he turned to see into the wilderness that up in the tree about 15 yards away was the Tennessee wild man. Now the wild man is described as about seven to nine feet tall. With gray or ginger hair and bright red eyes, he also has a terrible stench. <laughs> I keep finding stinky
0: yeah stinky if, he's, if he's wild, he's probably not
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he could even smell him in the night, so very yeah. stinky. so what did Rob do after seeing this guy up a tree fifteen yards away? well, he had seen his cousin run so he did the same he got down and he ran both made it out to tell the tale so this is said to originate back in the 1800s um the wild man was supposedly part of a freak show after being caught by another person in the freak show and legend has it that he escaped so like the strong man in the freak show caught the wild man and made him a part of it, but the wild man escaped. Or it seems more likely that the creature is like a Sasquatch, um, because he's seen as aggressive and supposedly has a penchant for trying to care off women and dogs specifically. And even though he's strong and agile and very swift, He has not had any luck thus far in hauling off anybody.
0: (laughs) I would jump to it's a man who has too much testosterone. Um, Okay, so this
1: one is a little bit dark. So I do want to, it is, it does have an upsetting ending. So I kind of want to start with that. And I don't normally do these.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you said something because I usually forget and just plow right through.
1: (laughs) I do want to preface this that it does have a, um, a trigger warning for, uh, murder. (laughs) Oh, so, yeah, normally I don't do this. It's a dog.
0: If it's a dog, then.
1: I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. God.
0: All right, so
1: in White Bluff, Tennessee, there is a natural hollow that's surrounded by the natural beauty of a natural, but the natural beauty of Tennessee, which, as we know, has a lot of different trees. Um, in the 1920s, a family set their sights on this gorgeous piece of land and decided to make their home there. Um, they weren't a small family by any means. There was mom, dad, and then seven small children. So rapid fire succession of children, all very young. But, of course, the land looked perfect, and it was peaceful, so that's where they decided to move. At first, there were only small disturbances when they moved there. Um, Just small noises that they thought that they could get through. But it is noteworthy that even though this happened 100 years ago, the house, I put this in a kind of awkward spot. I don't know why I did it this way. The house does still stand there. So there is proof that this did happen. Their house is still there. It is falling in, but people near Trace Hill Creek, Tennessee, say you can still see it. So as I was saying, there were small disturbances in the home. And by that, I mean, there were, um, you know, countless nights where the family was woken by horrific screams and howling from nearby woods. So over time, this led to the children dreading uh, nightfall and bedtime. So they couldn't be comforted. There was really just nothing to stop the sounds. So the howling and crying made them inconsolable and finally furious for the torment his family had endured, the husband grabbed his gun, gun and charged into the woods and that's when the howling changed direction and shifted back towards his house and that's where his family was waiting for his return so with dread and fear fueling him he ran back to his home and when he opened the door his family his wife and his children were all ripped to shreds oh no. yeah So many White Bluff residents say that they, too, have heard the screams and howls of the White Bluff screamer, as it's called, Um, and they say that there's rumors that there's a banshee up there. There's rumors that there's werewolves, I can't say that word, up there, but the murder has never been solved. Yeah. They don't the husband was ruled out as being the one who did it because the entire family had been complaining about these sounds um, the whole time they lived there. Yeah. And more than just to dad. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that, that one, I, it's a sad one. It happened over a hundred years ago though. So I was like, okay, and just because it's in the past doesn't mean it make it any less tragic but people still hear the sounds and they still don't know what it is
0: yeah well it's so, there's something i would say Yeah. they're still hearing
1: it yeah so there's something in the woods they just don't know what yeah it's a good good story um sad no, take yeah. that out it's not good <laughs> yeah but yeah, in some versions, they do specifically say that he saw a white female-shaped figure. And in like, other versions, yeah, they say that he saw a wolf-shaped figure, so.
0: I had Massachusetts. Um, I feel like
1: mine was really short, sorry. <laughs> no,
0: that's okay. Sometimes they're really short, though, and th- and I feel like mine are really long, so it'll balance out. Okay. <laughs> um so I had Massachusetts, uh, which became a state on February 6th, 1788. Um, some of the fun facts that I found, I thought there was a couple of really fun ones. <laughs> okay. um, so there is a house that is made entirely out of newspaper, including all of the furnishings and decorations. And I thought that was funny because okay, that- that's cool. Yeah, that had to have taken forever, and it's like on um, the top 50 attractions for the United States, like roadside attractions or whatever, so that's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, Okay, (laughs) I'm going to tell that one last, but it's... (laughs) Okay, so they do have a few weird laws. Now, this one actually makes sense to me, which is you can't give hospitalized patients beer... I mean, it makes sense to me because what are they in the hospital for? (laughs) No, that doesn't make sense. Why are you trying to give them beer? But I think it's funny that that had to be put into a situation of enforcement.
1: Yes. (laughs) Somebody kept bringing in booze is what (laughs)
0: happened. Uncle Larry kept asking for some beer. And then um, snoring is prohibited unless all of your windows are closed and locked they must last night (laughs) (laughs) that's funny um and then the last law that i found that i thought was entertaining was bullets may not be used as currency so that's another situation that came up enough that they were like stop trying to pay with your bullets people oh my goodness okay okay so the the one that i wanted to tell last because i think it's funny and i'm going to give it I am going to give this a try. I literally had to look up a YouTube video on how to say this, okay? <laughs> so, um, what this is, is it is home to the lake with the longest name in the world for a lake. So it's the oh. sixth, sixth longest word, but for a lake name, it is the longest. And so locals just call it Lake Webster or Webster Lake for short. So it's like, that's really easy. And I watched this YouTube video a million times to see how this name is pronounced. The name is pronounced something similar to, and I'm going to ruin this. <laughs> I am going to destroy this word. ga man, o. Uh, hold on, Bun Agung, among. It <laughs> was very long. It's very long. It's beautiful when somebody says it correctly. <laughs> <So> <laughs> a minute, just look up what is the longest lake name? And you can find YouTube videos of people saying it over and over again. <laughs> we'll look to, it up. Yeah, just just so that you can hear what this word actually. It took up two lines of my notebook to write the word out. Oh my god. Yeah, but I thought that was fun. (laughs) So, um, the first legend I'm going to talk about is it's called the Black Flash, which to me sounds like it would be a superhero name. However, this was not a superhero. Uh, So the Black Flash terrorized Provincetown, Massachusetts, in the late 1930s and early 1940s. It was uh, first reported in 1938 by a group of children. So of course, since it was kids, they were kind of dismissed because kids can be imaginative and, and whatnot. But what these children had claimed is that they saw a figure about eight feet tall with a silver... With silver ears, and some of them said that the whole face was silver, but with silver ears and flaming eyes that was dressed all in black, and the figure was hiding behind some trees, kind of like just lingering, and it made the kids feel uncomfortable. So um, the the people kind of just, like I said, dismissed the kids because kids can be imaginative, Until a woman that was named Maria Costa saw the same figure in October and she had a little bit of a more intense situation. She didn't just feel weirded out by this being that she saw. She claims that the being actually jumped out from behind a bush and chased her. So she took off running, and the first place that she came across was a coffee shop. So she ran into the coffee shop. She was very upset, very distressed. She starts explaining what happened. I was just chased. So a bunch of the patrons went outside looking for this person that was chasing her, and they couldn't find any traces of somebody chasing her. Um, But they um, oh the one thing that I, I left out of that so she's being chased by the, this black flash she says that it's emitting a buzzing sound oh, like yeah. the sound of insects so like oh. a vibrating buzzing sound yeah that's um, I don't like that part of it like let alone I it, no. But- eight-foot-tall, silver-faced, black-cloaked thing (laughs) and it's buzzing at me. I wouldn't, I would not be able to handle that. Um, Yeah, later additional uh, descriptions of this being uh, included a report that the black flash was spinning blue flames while chasing somebody else which was a teenager um, that he was chasing down the street and that he jumped over an eight to 10 foot tall fence without any trouble. So he was able to clear pretty tall fence.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. Um, The last reported appearance of the black flash was in 1945. That was also by a group of children that were playing. So it was four children that were playing in their backyard. And um, so they're playing outside, they see the figure um, coming towards them and they got scared and ran into their house where they locked all of the doors and windows, which is smart, good job kids. Um, And so they're locking all the doors and windows. Well, the oldest kid goes to the upstairs window and he looks out and he can see the black flash is like trying the doorknobs and whatnot. And so he grabs a scalding hot bucket of water. So he, so he goes and fills up a bucket of water and he dumps yeah. it out the window on the black flash. The, the black flash then like slunk off. He just like took off down the street like a dog with his tail between his legs, basically. And the sightings discontinued from that point. Nobody else saw it. So uh, from that point, they weren't, se- he wasn't seen again, and a lot of people kind of chalked it up to just somebody who was playing pranks around town. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you would explain like glowing red eyes or spitting blue flames, like those kinds yeah. of things seem a little difficult to explain. Um, however, there are lots of parallels, actually, to stories that came from London in the 18th, in, um, about 1837, and... That entity was called Spring Heeled Jack due to his ability to jump very high, so he was also reported to be able to jump over very tall defenses and whatnot. Um, He was also clad in black and it had been reported that he had red eyes and that he spit fire. So it's just kind of interesting that there would be parallels between the two. Yeah, probably a prankster who realized that maybe his pranks were going too far when he got (laughs) hot. Scalded. <laughs> yeah. He was like, this yeah. isn't fun anymore, but who knows? It could be, or it could be just an actual weird demon thing. Okay. So then my next story is about a town overall. Um, and it's the town called dog town. Um, Settlers had began to move into the area of Dogtown in 1693 since it was a reasonably safe area. So basically it was far enough away from the coast that they didn't need to worry about like pirates and whatnot. It wasn't so far inland that they were vulnerable to the wilderness and whatnot. Um, So it was just kind of a new up-and-coming town at that time. At its peak, Dogtown had about 100 families living there. Um, And this was between 1750 and the 1800s. So, um, in the early... Huh? It's a while back. Yeah, so this is a a little bit ago. Some of it. Um, So most of the farmers moved away from the town after the War of 1812. And so what that kind of wound up leaving is a bunch of open houses where um, some less savory people could move in. And so a lot of people who were trying to lay low started moving into these vacant houses. the which pushed more respectable families further out there was also a lot of women who stayed behind and these were people who were widowed so like their husband got lost at sea um some of them were just independent strong women so of course rumors start to fly that they are witches (laughs) so yeah so because they're like oh all these women are here in this town there's a whole bunch of unsavory people Surely they're, they're witches, um, which leads me to talk about somebody named Tammy Younger. She was considered the, basically like the queen of the witches in town. And the reason why, it's <laughs> because I think it's because she was savvy and she knew how to scam people, but <laughs> she's a witch. And um, so during this time, what she would do is people who were uh, running oxen teams, like transporting fish from the coast further inland Uh she would charge them a toll and if they didn't pay the toll she would curse their oxen team and them and so basically she was like I feel like she was running a game of (laughs) you pay to go by my town or else I'm gonna curse you um which that just kind of further oh my god that's yeah, great. <laughs> yes. I think that's amazing. But, um, part of the other reason why people said that they, the town was full of witches was because travelers that were going by began to hear loud booms coming from the town. And they would also see strange flickering lights in the woods. Um, so... They, oh, they would see flickering lights and figures, like, standing out in the woods watching them go by. So, okay. that kind of also added to it. I don't know how to explain that away. They
1: were probably scarecrows that Tammy put out there to freak them out. <laughs> she was probably like,
0: pull the rope, pull the rope. Where all of them were in on the, on the long con here, and they were all like, okay, yeah. we like <clears throat> we're making anybody. money. <laughs> So originally, this town wasn't called Dogtown. It was originally called Common Settlement, but it became known as Dogtown due to the large population of feral dogs. So um, basically, they suspect that all of these dogs came from the families and all those farmers, everybody leaving and just kind of abandoning their dogs in town, which led to them just taken back to being wild and free. Um, Early settlers had also noticed that there was high numbers of wolves in the area. So this is before, um, obviously before the abandonment of the town by the farmers. Right. But, um, the local Native tribe had also told some of these early settlers that their ancestors had had heads of dogs. And then they also said that there's a plant that grows locally in that area that will, when eaten, will give them similar dog-like features. So, oh my gosh. yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a Boston resident claimed to see a very large four-legged creature roaming the cliffs of Dogtown in March of 18 of 1984. I'm sorry, we're much closer now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in March of 1984. And he initially thought that it was a mountain lion. So I thought your story about mountain lions was funny because I had just read this one. Yeah. No However, Yeah, however, there have never been any mountain lions seen in that area. It's just not their terrain. And so later that day, like heading towards the night, there was actually two additional people who reported seeing a creature, but the way that they described it was a um, gray, monstrous dog-like animal that was near dog time. Uh, that was near Dogtown. So it kind of led to like werewolf, maybe? Yeah. I mean, they got the legend of these plants that you eat and they turn you kind of half dog. So um, I thought that was interesting too that they have, you know, dog lore wolves. That's funny. Other oddities about this town. So this town just keeps giving. (laughs) I love this town. Yeah, It's really a fun town. I would like to go and visit there. (laughs) Um, Other oddities about this town is that um, a gentleman named Roger Babson commissioned out-of-work stone cutters during the Great Depression. To come to this town and on 36 boulders that were throughout the town, he had them carve what was supposed to be inspirational quotes, but out of context and with minimal quotage on there, they can be kind of creepy. So, um, for example, one of the rocks just says, Help Mother. So it's like, oh. Is
1: this Help <laughs> <Is> this- <laughs> um, Mother. <laughs>
0: yeah, Another one is Be Clean. It just says be clean. Okay. Um, one of the other ones that I saw, it was something like Don't Give In to Debt or something like that. Like, it was just very odd and they're yeah. all over this town. Um, And then the final odd thing about this town is that um, a small toy cemetery has started to appear there. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Over the past several years, stuffed animals and dolls have been showing up in a section of town. Now, they suspect it's teenagers doing it, like, just as a prank, like, sneaking into this town and leaving do- dolls and toys. But it uh-huh. may be the doll island, like, if they were trying yeah. to do their own little doll island thing there. But, it has kind of a lot going on. It's got witches, it's got werewolves, got all of it. Dogs, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not everything. <laughs> um, so my last story is a sea monster, and I really like this sea monster. I don't know why, it just really spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't really have a reason, but I was like, I'm really digging this sea monster. Yeah. So uh this one is the Cape Ann Sea Serpent. Um, and this one is long, but I don't think it'll be that long, so just bear okay. with me. Sorry. <laughs> um, so the earliest recorded account of the sea serpent was in 1639. Now, there had supposedly been previous sightings of it, but this was like the first documented where somebody reported it and took the time to write it out. Um, so John Jocelyn had been informed, so it's a secondhand account too. <laughs> okay. Uh, had been informed of a sea serpent or snake that had been coiled up on a rock at cap, Cape Ann by some travelers that were coming in on a ship. Um, so that's the first time anybody took the time to write anything down about it. And he felt like he could really believe these guys' account because they were able to describe like it was a black sea serpent-like thing coiled up sleeping, um, apparently there was a conversation, should we kill it? And somebody told them, you don't want to, um, do that because if you don't kill it, it's going to come after us. <laughs> so it's like something that inspired them to be like, oh, we should use some caution. Unlike your farmer who just shoots at <laughs> whatever he sees. <laughs> Blow her uh, away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, From 1817 till 1819, there was a flood of sightings. And this was in the Gloucester Harbor. Um, Gloucester Harbor, I'll say it with a little more more confidence there, (laughs) Uh, which led to the publication of a pamphlet announcing the discovery of a new species. So they were just getting reports and reports and reports of a creature being seen in this harbor. In 1859, a British ship was attacked while coming into the harbor. And this prompted an investigation by General David Humphrey, who traveled to Gloucester to interview the witnesses who saw this creature. And what the witnesses described was a creature that was about 60 to 70 feet long. Uh, They also said that he had a spear, like protrusion from his forehead, I think that's why I like this creature. <laughs> yeah. a unicorn like horn. a narwhal. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Actually, like a narwhal, some people suspect that what they were really seeing was a narwhal. And it was uh, about 12 inches long and six inches wide, the, this horn. Um, it was incredibly fast and very agile. So they were trying to apparently kill it because it was coming at them, right? Yeah. So apparently it was like dodging all of their attacks. Uh, they did not get the warning of maybe you shouldn't attack this thing because it yeah. might. You. Okay, so the serpent was seen again in um, another bay in July of 1833, which was the Nahant Bay. And it was seen by a total of 40 to 50 people. And so there was a lot of people who witnessed that specific sighting. Yeah. Um, after the 1833 sighting, it was seen in the same bay in 1877. And an article was published in the Boston Globe about the recent sightings at that time. So um, more recent sightings, like more probably, let's go with the past 60 years, <laughs> um, they've drastically decreased. and. A great point that was made in this article that I was reading that I didn't really think about before this. I don't know if we've discussed it before, but they were saying A lot of that can be chalked up to the motorization of boats. So, oh, so they yeah. have, they're, they're going to avoid that sound. A sea monster supposedly the sea monster, washed up south of Boston in November of 1970, and over three days there was more than 10,000 people who reportedly saw this sea monster that had been washed up. Um, They claimed that it was at least 50 feet long. However, this event couldn't really be proven. They just had the word of people who said that they were there. And it's because mm-hmm. people, being people, started chopping up the sea monster to take souvenirs. So by the time, isn't that morbid? Oh my gosh, people, uh, leave it alone. <laughs> uh, warning there will be a monster dissected in this. <laughs> in this They started chopping it up and taking the pieces, so by the time biologists showed up, there was nothing left for them to really look at. So um, yeah, they couldn't really say much about it. Um, 10 years later in 1980, a giant squid washed up on the shores of Plum Island, which is uh, just kind of north of Cape Ann, and This squid was reported to be about 30 feet long. They're kind of approximating it because apparently it was missing, I think that it was called the feeding tentacles or something like that. So it was missing a part of him too. It didn't say that it was because people chopped him up, but um, they suspected that if he was in his intact position, he would be 30 feet long. Uh, That has led people to suspect that all of these sightings really are just a giant squid because you know for the longest time the giant squid or the kraken was said to be a myth and then they right. found started finding um yeah started finding them and this was actually one of three instances where a giant squid has washed up on um the united states soil so i thought that was interesting too it is yeah so giant squid or a sea serpent. I feel like that was a little discombobulated but I was super excited to talk about this. I'll serpent. take a narwhal. <laughs> I would not be surprised if it's a giant squid that was fighting with a narwhal and it just all looks oh. like it was a serpent.
1: <laughs> oh that's a good one. That's possible because you see stuff fighting and it looks weird like you see um, an ant carrying a hornet I mean, I've seen some weird stuff
0: in Texas. It's bizarre. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I sent you the picture of it, but uh, I was even just talking about this the other day at Thanksgiving dinner. Isn't that a lovely time to talk about this? But when we were in the nature center, we came across a bird who had choked on a snake trying to eat the snake. And the snake and the bird both died. And (laughs) that was an abomination. Oh, yeah. No, it's a minute to figure out what I was looking at <laughs> and I had to take I'll a picture think- of it because I was like nobody's gonna believe me that I just saw this
1: why do I laugh at this stuff I choked on a piece of cornbread once and I thought this is it I'm going down and that's <laughs> what I thought I'm gonna die alone in my apartment choking on cornbread geez <sighs> great. this I is had it that-
0: but I didn't I don't think that's an inappropriate thought, though, because I've had that thought when I've been home alone before, and I am eating something slovenly, and I'm like, I should probably not gobble this entire cookie (laughs) bowl. What would be something classy to choke on?
1: Macadamia chocolate, white chocolate cookie from Pepperidge Farm. Your house better be picked up, too. But mine, it would be the Blue Blocks cornbread, and my floor wouldn't be vacuumed.
0: So next week, I'm going to be talking about Iowa. And And I'm going to be talking
1: about Nevada. 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 Yes. Roll the dice, baby.
0: All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of your day. (laughs) Goodbye. Thank you. And goodbye.